between now and uh, Pentecost, we're going to be looking at a short series on journeys. We're all on a journey. Uh, we're on the journey of life, of course. But uh, as Christians, we're on a journey to an eternal home. And uh, we're on a journey of faith. And uh, one day, that faith will be realised by sight as we see Jesus, if we love the Lord. I'm sure you'll be able to identify uh, in some way with, with some of the journeys that we're going to be looking at, the people that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks leading up to Pentecost. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at the journey one person took from hope to despair. And uh, some titles are usually the other way around, aren't they? From despair to hope. But uh, this person went from a journey from hope to despair. And then uh, we'll look at the journey from failure, someone took from failure to uh, fruitfulness. And then I think Jez is going to be taking the journey that Jesus took from earth to heaven uh, as he looks at the ascension. Today we're going to look at the journey that someone took, or people took, from doubt to faith. And a subtitle would be, Doubt to Faith with Two Looks and Two Turns. Okay, from doubt to faith with two looks and two turns. Now, we could look at all of the disciples of Jesus who followed Christ right until his death, between the cross and Pentecost, but I want us to focus on these two 18 verses of John 20. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene and John. We'll look at Mary Magdalene first. She's the first on the scene. And here we have Mary Magdalene and her two turns. That's the title, Mary Magdalene and her two turns. So if you turn with me in your Bible, it's good to look at it together, verses 1 and 2. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, which was John. Okay, and then she came, and so this is written by John, so John's writing this. Then she came and came, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, if you read the other accounts, the gospel accounts, we find that Mary Magdalene was actually accompanied at the beginning by other ladies. There was definitely Mary, the mother of James the Less. That was one of Jesus' other disciples called James. And Salome. Those are in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. John's Gospel just focuses on Mary, one of those women, Mary Magdalene. She was... She went to the tomb, and it says, verse 1, she went early while it was still dark. That phrase early, while it was still dark, literally means, it, it's literally translating a phrase that says the last watch of the night, which was actually between 3 o'clock in the morning 
and six o'clock in the morning. In other words, Mary woke up really early in that morning. And she made her way to the tomb while it was still dark. No doubt she couldn't sleep, probably, with all that had happened. Just like some of you can't sleep early in the morning. You wake up, three o'clock, four o'clock. Hands up if you wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Anybody else? Goodness, that's half the congregation. All right, I better, that's probably why you're falling asleep now and again. So, so you, yeah, we, and you younger folk, this is what the older folk tell you. You're going to come to that eventually. So make the most of your sleep while you've got it. So here's Mary Magdalene. She can't sleep. She gets to the tomb early. She's just seen Jesus crucified. She's seen him killed. She gets up in the middle of the night to go to the tomb. She saw them there early before, some hours before, laying his body in that tomb. When she gets there, she finds the huge stones being rolled to one side. The stone that had sealed the entrance. And she looks in and she finds the tomb empty. She immediately runs off to collect, to fetch Peter and John and to tell them what she's found. And she assumed the body had been stolen. Verse 2, Peter and John, she says to Peter and John, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and John immediately set off to the tomb to find out for themselves what had happened and Mary followed sorry <coughs> we obviously it's it's a new it, it's not a new it's the system from the old from the lounge so it takes takes a bit of getting used to this system so that's for the uh, technical bits and pieces so Peter and John arrived they found the tomb empty as Mary had said and then they left to go back to their homes, leaving Mary standing next to the tomb, utterly distraught, weeping. Typical men, isn't it? <laughs> totally oblivious to the fact that this woman's actually in pieces. They just go off, off they go. And there she is, weeping. And in John chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, this is what we read about what happened next. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white standing, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. When, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first. He also appeared then to Mary, the mother of James the Less, and likely to Salome as well. Interesting, isn't it? He appeared to the women first. It's interesting and strange 
Because in that culture, especially, in, well, in both cultures, Jewish and Roman cultures of that day, the testimony of women was regarded as being insubstantial. It was discredited. It, it, it was dismissible. In other words, the testimony of women, women it wasn't given weight. It wasn't given credence. And yet it was to the women that Jesus first appeared. And one of those women, in fact the first of those women, was Mary Magdalene, who we learn earlier, Jesus had cast seven demons out of. She, she'd been demon-possessed. She would have been an even greater outcast. She would have been totally um, shunned by the culture, the religious culture of that day. So her testimony was even less credible than even the women's. Actually, that's why this whole account has the ring of truth about it. You know, some have said that the resurrection was actually a figment of the imagination and it was, an, it, it, it was a fabrication of the early church. They, they sort of invented this story because they wanted it to be so true. But it would have been an odd thing, wouldn't it? If this story had been invented by the church to have made women the primary witnesses to the resurrection in that culture. Everything about this account confirms that it's just an honest and open account of what actually happened. It's not glamorized, it's not glossed over, it's not glossed up rather, it's not fabricated. It doesn't gloss over the failures of those who are involved, the disciples. It doesn't gloss over their unbelief and their disappointments. They tell it as it is, warts and all. Because it's true. It's just a simple account of what happened. So here's Mary. She's standing outside the tomb. She's crying. On top of the trauma of, of, of having seen Jesus crucified, it now seems that the, the tomb where he'd been laid was being ransacked. Somebody's stolen the body. And then we read this, and I've read part of it, but let me just read again, verse 14 to 16. Now when she had said this, they've taken away the body. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to a woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to her, Sir, if you, had carried him, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus when she first saw him? When he spoke to her? We're not told, but I would say there's various reasons. One, because of her tears, absolutely, because of, she was distraught. And it's hard to see in her tears when you're, when you're in that state, always to see clearly. Also, I think, I'm, I'm sure it was because Jesus was the last person she expected to see. She did not expect to see. And if you're not expecting to see somebody, and you know, in fact, if you think they're dead, and you see them, you, you don't see them, do you? you, you it's just not, it's just, it, it was something which she was, she was least expecting. But she didn't recognize him as well 
Because while his appearance was similar, it was different. Jesus' resurrection body was similar in that it was still Jesus. He had the wounds and the scars. She could touch him. He could be touched. He could eat and drink and sit and walk. It was similar, but it was different. It was different because, as you read the accounts, he could actually travel effortlessly and appear and disappear at will. His body didn't have the constraints of our bodies. And yet, it was also similar. There was a dissimilarity in his appearance, and yet it was similar, which is why on the road to Emmaus, there were two disciples walking. Jesus just appeared next to them, walked with them, and they didn't recognize him at first. But then, when they came to share a meal together, Jesus broke the bread, and they recognized him. Jesus' body was similar, yet very different, because it was his glorified body. It was his resurrection body. Now just turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Paul speaks about your glorified body, if you love the Lord and know Jesus, the body that you one day will have, and you'll be given this. Philippians 3, verse 21. That's actually, you know, I'll read from verse 20. Okay. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So the body that you will be given, your new resurrection body, will be the same as Jesus' body. It will be similar to the body that Christ had. It will be a resurrection body. A body that will never, ever, never, ever experience sickness or decay or deterioration or death. It will be a glorified body fitted for heaven, fitted for eternity. That will be given to you and to all of God's people all at the same time. That's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. It says at the last trump. That's when the trumpet sounds, the last, then at that moment there will be a total transformation. And those who have died and are with Christ, their spirits are with the Lord, and those who are on the earth who love the Lord, simultaneously, all in one go, the body, your body will be changed. You will be given, if you're in the heaven with the Lord, we're with, with him and we've died, then we will be given a new body. Just uh, let me read 1 Corinthians 15. You don't need to turn to it. I think, uh, we might have it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. It be an incorruptible body. And we shall all be changed. And that will happen for all who trust in Christ. You will receive a new body. Suited for eternity. Suited for worshipping God. Suited 
for praising him and serving him in eternity. So friends, you need to make the most of your aches and pains now because you're not going to have them. They're just going to be gone. They've all disappeared. They belong to our sinful world, thankfully. So at first Mary didn't recognise Jesus. But I don't know if you, if you noticed this when I, when I read the account. I've read it about three times now. Mary turned twice. There were two turns. Verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. I think the first turn was, if you like, just a glance. That's how I would see this. It was a turn of the head. She no she'd She'd notice there was someone standing by her. And just turned. She supposed it was the gardener. A, the gardener, Jesus, asked, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she didn't even hardly take any notice. She just turned back, I think, probably head down. She said, someone's taken the body. And if you know where they've taken him, taken it, please tell me so I can bring it back. So it was just a glance. I think that's probably one of the reasons she didn't recognise him as well. And then Jesus said, Mary. She turned. And she said, Rabboni? Or was it Rabboni? Which is teacher just it, her eyes were open she saw for the first time this was Jesus the risen saviour her saviour Jesus called her by name she recognised his voice she turned you know when Jesus speaks to us he speaks to us by name I think that's wonderful he, he really does speak to us he knows all about us you might not speak to us audibly. You might not hear it with your voice, but you know when Jesus speaks. He speaks in your heart. He speaks to your soul. Spirit, there's something deep within you. And, and you know that God's speaking to you. Maybe this morning, you're the one that Jesus is speaking to. Is going to speak to. Maybe you're the one that Jesus is going to speak very clearly to this morning. In order to hear clearly and see Jesus, she had to turn fully to him. You know, she, she was turned in the wrong direction. She, she, she was facing away from him. She was, her face was down, blinded by her grief. And she failed to recognise him at first. I, you know, I think that can be true of us sometimes. We sometimes can be so full of our own problems sometimes and the things that we're facing. So taken up with our own struggles 
that we're facing away from Jesus. And we fail to see him, we fail to recognise him. And we perhaps don't even recognise his voice. It's true, isn't it, when we get anxious, or we get concerned about things, or we get absolutely filled with our thoughts of, of, of maybe upset or something like that, or, or just the whole thing that we're going through, we're weighed down with whatever it is. And many of us face the wrong direction. We become frustrated, or we become angry, or distressed, or confused, or hurt. And it's so easy to become absorbed in those things. We take our eyes off the Lord. And instead of looking to Jesus, we look into ourselves. Or we look at our problems, or we look at the issue. Or we look at other people. Or we might even immerse ourselves in our activities to forget about it. We face the wrong direction. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. The word looking in the Greek there, it's aphoroho, it means to look attentively. It means literally to take your eyes off everything else, turn and fix your eyes on something else. We're to look to Jesus. We're to turn, take our eyes off everything else. Do you need to turn this morning? There's someone here this morning. You need to turn. Turn away by faith. From what's been weighing you down or what's been stopping you moving forward. What's been hindering you. What's been holding you back. You need this morning maybe just to fix your eyes firmly on Jesus. Telling him that you're going to trust him with everything. And move forward. Won't happen until you take the step. You know God, sometimes we're just waiting for God to do something. No, God's done everything. And he's waiting for us. To respond. So that's Mary Magdalene. Let's and her two turns. Let's just think about John and his two looks. John and his two looks. It could have been John and his good looks, but I thought that was being a bit too clever. Mary went to fetch Peter and John because she found the tomb empty. Peter and John immediately set off on foot. They're running. One outran the other. Did you notice who got there first? John. John got there first. Perhaps he was younger and fitter. Perhaps Peter was older and fatter. I don't know. I mean, but he was, he, he, and, he, and he came last, did Peter? So John got there first. He didn't enter the tomb straight away. He looked in from the outside. Verse 4 and 5. Let's go back to... The passage, John 20. Verse 4 and 5. So they both ran together and the other disciple, John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet did not go in. <clears throat> so he stopped out, he got to the tomb first, he looked inside 
saw the grey clothes lying there, but he waited outside. <clears throat> Peter comes up a bit afterwards, puffing and panting, no doubt. What did he do? It's typical Peter, straight in. Didn't hold back. Verse 6 and 7. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, when John arrived, notice in verse 5, it says that he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. That was the first look he saw. That wasn't when he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. But then in verse 8, then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. That was the second look. He saw the grave clothes. He saw those strips of linen, the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus that had covered, and the, and, and the cloth that had covered the face and it was lying separately, suddenly he had that flash of insight, and, as understanding, and he knew absolutely, without any shadow of a doubt, that Jesus had risen from the dead. He realised and he knew there and then, this wasn't a robbery, the body hadn't been stolen, he was convinced that Jesus had been raised. And that was the second look the look of faith. The word saw in verse 8 is different to the word saw in verse 5. It didn't come out in our, in our um, English translations. In verse 5, the, the word saw is, is, is just a word that means to observe. Just to look. So he, he saw the linen cloth. He saw the, the lying there. He saw the tomb was empty. He observed the fact. But when it gets to verse 8, the saw there, it's got a richer meaning. It means he saw with understanding. He took a closer look. He saw the facts. But then something happened. And the truth dawned on him. Dawned on, on him. I, I was thinking it's a bit like, you know, when you, you were back in school and you were trying to do this really complex maths problem. You know, 5 times 12 or something like that. You're, you're just struggling with it. You just don't know how to do it. And then your teacher goes through it on the board, step by step. Just like that. And you think, how on earth didn't I see that before? That is so obvious. And you see with your understanding. Unless you're a complete dunce at maths and then you'd have no chance. But that, that's, that's, that's the sort of thing. You see, but then you see. You see with understanding. That's what made the difference for John. There was definitely a revelation of the Holy Spirit. But it was also aided by the facts of what he saw. What did he see? He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the, and the face cloth that had been wound around Jesus' fa uh, face. Remember when, um, a few actually a few days earlier than this, before this, Jesus had raised another man from the dead, a man called Lazarus. 
And when Lazarus came out of the tomb, it's interesting, in John chapter 11, verse 43, it says this. John 11, 43. Now when Jesus, or when he, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, what does it say, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. So it wasn't just a cloth that had been put on his, it was wrapped around his head. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So there's Lazarus. He'd, his body, his corpse had been round, round with these linen cloths. And, uh, and, and the, the face cloth had been wrapped around his head. And so Jesus said, come forth, Lazarus. And he came forth. And he was walking out. He was like a walking mummy. He was absolutely encased with his grey cloths. And, and so Jesus had to say, look, unwind him. <laughs> Take them off him. Loose him. He had to be unwrapped. So what was it that John saw? Well, he saw what Peter saw when he went into the tomb. Verse 6, chapter 20, verse 6. Then Simon came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head. And it's, it, it, it's not a handkerchief as we would see it. It's, it's a cloth, and we'll see what, how it was done in a minute, that had been lying around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. So the, the grave clothes had been wrapped around his body. They were still there. Which is interesting. If, the, if someone had stolen the body, they wouldn't have unwrapped the body, would they? That, that wouldn't have made sense. So... The grave clothes had been actually taken off or loosed from the body in some way. And the cloth that had been wrapped around his face was also lying there separately and it says it was folded. The word folded doesn't mean nicely, neatly folded as we might carefully fold a, a handkerchief or a napkin, or something like that. It actually means entwined, or coiled around. In other words, just as it had been wrapped around the face, entwined around the face, but now it was just lying there in that wrapped state, as though the body had just passed through it. And it says that John looked, and he believed. There was something going on there. He recognized something different. This was, there was something that God had done. And the body was raised. And of course that's what we believe. We believe that the body of Christ, he didn't sort of come awake and then he had to unwrap himself. He just passed out of that. He moved out of those grave clothes. And John saw and believed. He saw with understanding. He saw with new eyes. Remember, this is John's personal testimony. This is autobiographical. He's writing this. It's personal. He's detailing it. He's putting it in. This is exactly what happened. 
And this was the moment when he was convinced of the resurrection. He moved from unbelief to faith. That Jesus had been raised from the dead. And that's what Jesus has done for us. You know, the Apostle Paul said this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection was an event in history. The facts are undoubted. There is solid evidence and millions of people across the world have come to that conviction, that real belief. They've moved from unbelief to belief that actually the resurrection is true. And people from all different backgrounds, including people like Mary Magdalene, who come from an awful background of, of demon possession. Some think she was the woman, some think she was the woman who brought the... the um, Immoral woman who broke the alabaster box on, on, over Jesus, the uh, alabaster box of ointment. Um, whether that was so or not, it doesn't matter. People, people from all backgrounds have come to that same conviction that Christ was raised from the dead. And if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, it's not just head knowledge that matters. It's believing in your heart. It's believing with your heart. You know, you, you, you can believe, so you can know something with your head, but until you commit yourself to that, just believing intellectually that Christ left the tomb does no more for anybody than believing that Henry VIII had six wives. He did have six wives, didn't he? And it, 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 that, knowing that fact informs you. But actually, when you commit to the fact that you know Christ was raised from the dead and you respond in faith, that actually opens the door of your heart. I was thinking it's like the, parachute, the, the, the parachutist who's jumping from the plane. There's got to be a point of commitment. I know that that parachute's going to hold me, but I've got to commit myself to it. You know, the, the couple standing at the, the altar getting married... There's got to be a, a point of commitment when you say, I will, I do. And life's supreme moment comes when I'm ready to entrust myself to Christ who died for me and rose from the dead. There's got to come that active step of faith. And, and I want to ask to, in closing, do you, have you come to that? Have you come to that? Not do you know it, but have you believed in your heart? Jesus spoke to Mary by name. Jesus spoke her name. And, and, and you need to hear God speak to you like that. You need to come to a place where you know for a certain certainty, this is God saying to me, I need to believe, I need to commit my life, not just to the knowledge of Christ, but to the resurrection knowledge of Christ. You need to commit your whole life to him. And put your whole trust in him. John had to move from unbelief to belief. Just like all the other disciples. And just like you and I have to do. And we sang earlier, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart.
Have you had your heart opened? Do you believe? Do you, have you just believed the facts? Maybe you're serving in the church. Maybe you're doing things. Maybe you're, you're, you're involved with church in many ways, in different ways. But have you come to that personal commitment where you've stepped out and you've said, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and Saviour. Maybe you've never had an encounter with the risen Jesus and never known a relationship with God. Maybe this morning, something inside you, inside you says, I need to know that. I want to know that. And I want to give my life to Christ. Then why don't you do that this morning? Let's bow in prayer. Let's bow in prayer. God's uh, spoken in a way that is clear to you about your need to commit yourself to Christ fully. And would you do that this morning? Maybe you've been half turned, a bit like Mary Magdalene, sort of half there, wondering, sort of sitting a bit on the fence, Maybe not really fully recognizing Christ. Then what, would you turn fully today? Would you turn around? The, word, the Bible word is repent. Turn fully. Turn away from your old life. Turn to Christ. And John saw, he saw with his eyes, he saw with the eye of faith, he, he believed the facts, he knew it was true, and he embraced that. Would you do that this morning? And ask Christ to be your saviour and your Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer, a simple prayer, and uh, if you'd like to pray this prayer as a, an expression of your full commitment to Christ this morning then you pray the prayer to yourself and ask Christ to come into your life this is the prayer I'll say it slowly and give you time to repeat it to yourself and to God Father live a transformed life and this day I turn I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus and I invite Christ to come into my life to cleanse me and to change me I choose now to follow him Lord would you fill me with your spirit and help me to live for him. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, then please have a word with me afterwards. I'd like to give you something to read. And uh, it will help to make it firm and definite. If you just have a word with me afterwards, please do that.
And if you'd like to know more and you're, perhaps you're not quite there, you're still thinking about it, then keep pursuing, keep seeking. Ask a friend to help you in that. We're going to sing to finish with the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. Let's uh, stand to sing. Help us, we pray, Lord, to go out and to be unashamed of Jesus, our Saviour. 
Lord, we pray for opportunities to testify to the fact that Jesus is alive and has changed our lives. And Lord, for those, if any have really committed their life to Christ this morning, Lord, we pray that you would have heard their prayers. We pray that you would have come into their lives and Lord, that they would be changed from this day forward, ready to live for you. Lord, bless we pray. So Lord, part us with your blessing. And may your peace, mercy and grace, Lord, be with us all. In Jesus' name. Amen.